If you got a Bible, turn to First Thessalonians. You know, we've been working our way through this little letter here that Paul uh, wrote to the church at Thessalonica, and um, Paul started off by just uh, letting the church know how much he cared for them, how much he loved them, that he was wanting to go visit them, but he couldn't go visit them, and uh, he had caught some word that they might have been a little mad with Paul. And so Paul was trying to encourage them and tell them that he loved them, tell them that he cared for them. There was no hard feelings between them. And uh, Paul had uh, spent the first chapter um, lifting them up. Then the second chapter, he started addressing a problem that they were having there, issues they were having there at the church. Um, Mostly, these false teachers had crept in, began to teach some false doctrine about the coming of the Lord. And uh, Paul instructs them uh, here uh, about that in several uh, verses that we talked about and several different events, several different things about the coming of the Lord. And uh, I was just talking to Pastor Josh today. And he was telling me about different things. And he said, well, you didn't give a lot of your opinions about the second coming of God and what you believe. And I said, well, I don't like to give opinions, right? I like to give the word of God. I'd like for you to understand the Word of God and make your own decision on what you want to talk about or what you feel like you believe or what the Word of God says, Um, because there is a lot of of, uh, mystery when it comes to the second coming of Jesus Christ. Obviously, there is no mystery that He is coming again. There is no mystery that we better be ready at any moment. There is no mystery that once He comes, there's no undoing His coming that it's going to be a final a judgment time for those that are alive at that point in time and those that are alive during the church age. And also, it's going to be a time that Christ is going to set the record straight. And if you're going to be on one side or the other, you better be on Jesus' side because it's all going to come down to God. It's all going to come down to Jesus, and He's going to win, and He's going to settle the score. And um, even here, I think as Paul originally taught the church of Thessalonica um, that these false believers used this as a vice to, um, to use to, to pry some issues into their belief systems. And so for us to be sure we're wise to look to our belief system as well. And I think a lot of times for Christians, uh, we major on the minor and we minor on the major things. And Obviously, the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ and what you believe, pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib, all millennial, we went through this whole process, and what you believe about those things are pretty much minor things if you believe the major things that I just mentioned. And for us to split fellowship, or for us to call someone narrow-minded, or they don't understand Scripture, or for us to manipulate someone in a different way to say that we have all the answers, because that's what these false uh, teachers were doing. And always, always, always be leery of pastors and preachers and teachers that tell you this is exactly the way it's going to happen. Because they don't know. (laughs) And God doesn't spell it out exactly the way that it happens. And we know that Satan will take that doubt and he will work its way in there. He will try to pull us away from the Lord and obviously to cause us dissension and to cause a division in the church, to cause even this church to become upset with Paul, the Apostle Paul, the founding pastor of their church. And so he was aware of all these things. And Paul 
um, did a great job of expounding these things. And also for us to remember when we get done with these things that there is a mystery. There is a understanding that we won't have all the answers. The Bible is a book to be believed, um, not to be explained in some areas. And we believe certain things by faith, and we know they're going to come to pass, and we believe in those things. So Paul now turns towards the end here to conclude this, and uh, this will probably be our last, uh, last message in First Thessalonians. If you come next Wednesday night, you'll get the second conclusion. The only problem is you're going to be with the frogs out there in the pond because we're not having service next Wednesday night. So just in case you wasn't paying attention, there is no services next Wednesday night. And we'll probably need that because Saturday, you know, Sunday we fall back an hour, so we'll be losing an hour of sleep, and by Wednesday you're probably ready to get home and not even think about coming to church anyways. So uh, it'll be a good time for us to take a little break and to take off next Wednesday and then regather and come back the following Wednesday to begin another Bible study. So um, if you're here next Wednesday, um, talk to the frogs out there because I won't be here <laughs> as well. But First Thessalonians chapter 5. Verses 12 through 15, that's where we're going to read tonight. We might go a little bit further, but I wanted to talk to you about these exhortations of Paul. We get to these final exhortations, it's just him pouring out his heart. And he says, uh, verse 12, he says, After, and we urge you, brethren, to recognize those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. And to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake. Be at peace among yourselves. Now we exhort you, brethren, warn, warn those who are unruly. Comfort the faint-hearted. Uphold the weak. And be patient with all. See that no one renders evil for evil to anyone. But always pursue what is good both for yourselves and for all. Actually, I'm going to read to verse 22. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophecies, test all things, hold fast to what is good, abstain from every form of evil. And uh, you know, I love how Paul gets into this thing, he gets to the right end, he starts shoving all these little things in there, right? And we could, we could literally study some of these exhortations for weeks on end, but he gets to the end here and he said, I urge you, I implore you, I want you to know this church. And so he is specifically talking to the body of Christ here. He is talking to the church and trying to give them some exhortation on how to be a healthy church. Obviously, they were trending in the wrong direction. So he wanted to trend them back in the right direction to pull them to where they needed to be as a body of Christ, as a local body of believers. He was urging them of these several things. And first, he talks about their labor. He says, We beseech you therefore, brethren, to know them which labor among you, and are over you in the Lord, and admonish you. Um, if you think about it, he is speaking of a pastor here, or a shepherd here, or under-shepherd. When he talks about those who are over you, he's speaking in terms of function in the church, not of equality in the church. We all know we are called. We all know we have a mission of God to accomplish. We all know we're gifted. But he's talking about as a function in the church, that there are pastors, there are leaders who are over you, or they function in the role of leadership. 
He's saying to those, to those who labor among you, who are over you, and admonish you. Um, if you think about, here was Paul talking about um, here as they are serving and laboring. And if you've ever done the work of the ministry, you know it is like a job. It is a mantle. It is a burden. And not just a pastor, but any type of leader or any type of person that's over spiritual um, things, you know it's a burden. It's a, it's a thing that pushes you. It, it consumes you. It, it causes you to labor. It's not easy. And the temptation is for people to get lazy, for people to do it to benefit themselves or to have an easy job or be devoted to the wrong things. But Paul is coming saying, let me encourage you to be thankful, to be grateful for those who labor among you, those who work, those who do the job of leading and preaching and teaching. And he was saying, for this is for your benefit. And verse, the second part, I said, we beseech you, therefore, brethren, or you brethren, to know them which labor among you and are over you. We had admonished you. So he's saying not only they labor, but they lead and they admonish you. They call you to a point of repentance or admonish you in the Lord. They, they encourage you in the Lord. You esteem them for the work of the Lord. And if you think about it, for us as Christians, when we come to church, that's the way we should act towards one another, right? We should admonish one another. We should love one another. We should beseech them to know them, to know those who labor, to those who work, to those put in the time to oversee us, to take care of us. And he's saying for them as a pastor and preachers and concerning the people, he's saying for you, you need to admonish them and work with them and see them. And I'm sure this is because after Paul left, the new pastor came to town and they probably said, well, he doesn't preach like Paul preached, right? Um, he doesn't sing like, you know, Barnabas would sing. He doesn't do this and he doesn't do that. And they were probably complaining, talking about different ways they say things, different things. So what he was saying was, I want you to know this, to esteem those. Anyone who God puts in spiritual leadership is worthy of esteeming them if they're laboring in their work for the Lord. That's, that's what Paul is trying to tell him here. It's not just the person. It is the, it is the God behind that. That if he calls someone and they are laboring and they are working for the part of the Lord, then we should esteem them. We should honor them. We should recognize them. We should be grateful for them. So, you guys didn't know you was getting a sermon to come be grateful for your pastor, did you? And to be thankful, <clears throat> I got my uh, Venmo back there for anybody that wants to give me any uh, money for being appreciated or thankful, being thankful for me. I'm just teasing, by the way. But I could tell you, this means a lot. Because when a pastor or a leader or a spiritual advisor knows that the people love them or care for them and take care of them, it goes a long, long way. And for me, it is a joy to come and be a part of a church that takes care of me or to, to look for out for my family. Um, the last several weeks, I've been resting in my chair very nicely, by the way. For those that had given money for me to be able to get a, a new chair for a lazy boy chair, and it fits. When I get up, it doesn't get up with me. It actually stays there. <laughs> Courtney can actually sit in the chair with me, so you know that thing's got to be a big chair, Right? Um, and, and as well, to be able to go and to be able to share, to know that people care for you. And people text me. People call me. Say, we're praying for you. 
Thank you for ministering. Thank you for preaching. Thank you for teaching. Thank you for doing those things. It means a lot. And pastors and preachers and leaders, and even those in any job that's teachers or leadership or in staff on any organization, it means a lot when you know you're appreciated, when you know that someone cares about you, when you know someone esteems you. And so Paul was just saying, hey, don't forget about those leaders. Don't forget about those that are in charge of you. Make sure you are uh, taking a watch over them. Make sure you're caring for them. And then for them to lead and to be able to do those things. So not only just a pastor, he turns in verse 14 to the people. And he says, first, now we exhort you, brethren. So he talks about pastors and leaders. Now he goes, for you, brethren, warn them that are unruly. And you think about warn them who are unruly. Um, this is a biblical principle that's often overlooked or neglected in our day, right? Um, because no one, and mostly um, people who come to church, ever want to warn people or to correct people who are unruly. Like, like it's hard to call out people or to lovingly correct someone. Literally, the word here is a military word, means one who is in disorderly or out of ranks or subordinate. And so what he's saying here is for us as a church, for us as believers in Christ, we are to, as brothers and sisters in Christ, to call out the unruly ones. And we are to be shepherds as our shepherd is shepherding a flock, that we are to look out for one another and we are to warn them that are unruly. Colossians 1.28, whom we preach, warning every man, teaching every man in all wisdom, that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. Also, Ezekiel 33, 6-7. Been reading through this, thinking about preaching through Ezekiel. But Ezekiel chapter 40 scares me. I don't know if I can make it through there. <coughs> but it's a tough uh, book. But it's one that I need to do before. Um, you know, I want to preach through all the books of the Bible. That's one of my goals as a preacher. And uh, all 66 books. So I'm not quite there yet. I hope I got a little more time to do that, but uh, I want to be able to make it. But he says in Ezekiel chapter 33, talks about a watchman. He says, but if a watchman see the sword come and blow not the trumpet, then the people be not warned if the sword come and take any person from them. He was taken away in his iniquity, but his blood will I require at the watchman's hand. So thou, O son of man, I have set thee a watchman under those of the house of God. And therefore you shall hear that at my word of my mouth and warn them from me. He's saying that we are the mouthpiece of God. We are one who needs to tell others that when they're being unruly or they're not living right or they're not treating one, one another uh, correctly, it's part of the obligation of the body of Christ. Hey, you shouldn't treat your wife that way or hey, you shouldn't act that way or hey, you shouldn't do this and that. It's growing in relationships to one another, be able to confront or to, uh, to warn those who are unruly. If you keep living that way, there are going to be consequences for you to pay. We need to hear that because you're not hearing it out in the world. All the world makes everything look sin look glamorous, right? But yet we need to hear the other side of that. We need to hear what happens when that sin falls apart. And when the consequences of sin becomes uh, real in our lives, when we don't do God's will, when we don't 
follow His instructions, when we're not obedient to His commands in our life. We need to hear both sides of it. So, we are to warn those who are unruly. Secondly, He says we're to comfort the feeble-minded. Literally, the word means faint-hearted or weary in their faith. Uh, almost ready to give up or abandon the work. And what a great time to be reminded of that on a Wednesday night, right? <laughs> Sometimes you get to the point where people get weary. They get feeble-minded. They get faint-hearted. They get to a point where they're ready to give up. They're ready to give up to the point where that they need someone to encourage them. That as they go through the world, as they go through trials, as they go through tribulations, they become weary and they need to be comforted. They need, to be, they need to be consoled. Let me tell you, many times in our church, brothers and sisters in Christ, when I've become weary or I've become faint-hearted, that someone has come along and encouraged me and lifted me up. And many times I come to church, sometimes on Wednesday or sometimes on Sunday, and you feel so discouraged and you feel like you can't make anymore. When you leave there, you feel like you got a fresh wind in your sails, like you're ready to go again. Like, man, that was exactly what I needed, to be encouraged by believers in Christ. If they are doing it, I can do it, and we comfort one another, but we also encourage one another. And also, the word comfort here as well, not just encouragement, but just to walk through things with people. It amazes me how many times that in this world that people walk through things all alone. They have no church to call home. They have no brothers and sisters to pray for them. They have no pastor to pray for them. They have no pastor to preach a funeral or to come to their family or to come within their sick in the hospital. But yet, as for us as Christians, it shouldn't be that way. That for us as brothers and sisters in Christ, we come together and we comfort the feeble mind. We comfort those who are hurting. We sit with people. We walk through things with people. I've been in this church. I've walked through times when people lose their husband. I've been here when people get cancer. I've been here when people get married. I've been here when people go through tough times with their kids and relationships. And listen, for us, if we all had times, I've been there when I've had tough times. And I could remember days and months and weeks when people would just come uh, and walk through those times with me. And they just comfort me during those times. And that's the way a church should be. This is what Paul is saying. A loving church will comfort those, exhort those who are ruly, but also comfort those who are feeble-minded. But also, he says, support the weak. In verse 14, second part, he says, support the weak. We know that we're to support and encourage those who are weak, but this goes a little deeper. It says, support those who yield easily to temptation. Support those who are easily led astray. Support those who are burdened or defeated, or easily defeated. This means it's one for us to take those who are easily led away from God. And it's our job to go and encourage them, to invite them back to church, to encourage them to come back to Bible study, to come back to church and to, to serve the Lord. And for us, sometimes for us, we give up on people too easy, but God says we're there to support them, to encourage them, to, to pull them back when they're unruly. In our society, in our world today, that's what it wants to do is pull us away from God. Pull us away from God's people. Pull us away from God's church. You don't believe me. Let something happen in your life and I guarantee you the first temptation that will come to your mind is I don't feel like going to be around anybody 
not brothers and sisters in Christ or church, or I don't want to hear the word, I don't want to sing, I don't want to do none of those things. And the devil goes after the feeble-hearted, those who are down, those who are weak, those who are struggling. And he's saying, we as Christians need to look and we need to support the weak. We need to come stand alongside of them. We need to help lift them up. We need to encourage them. We need to walk with them. I think this for us is really important for us as a church to think about those who are weak and those who are most attacked in our world today. First comes to mind, I think of kids and teenagers, myself. You know, for us as a church that we must help and to walk with our teenagers, to walk with our kids. Um, Some of the stories that I hear, some of the things that I uh, hear from some of the kids, I think I never even heard or face those things when I was, even until I was in college. Like, like they are exposed and they are targeted at an early, early, early age. And a lot of times, you know, you watch movies. And uh, now I guess when I was a kid, I really didn't understand some of those things. I was like, oh yeah, that was a great movie when I was growing up. Then you go to watch it and you go, wait a minute, that wasn't so great. There was a lot of uh, things in there that pull that I just missed when I watched it the first time somehow. But for us as Christians, when we watch it the second time, or even movies today and entertainment, Lord knows what you see on your phone and what you see on websites and what you see what people are calling normal today. Like, I never would imagine what we call normal today and what we call in our society, in our systems, that we have to talk this certain way He's saying for us as a Christian, it's our job, it's our obligation to go help them, to help children think biblically, to help teenagers understand who they are in Christ, especially in our selfie generation, right? That their beauty and who they are in God has nothing to do with the way they look or the posts they put on Instagram or how many likes they get or how many, uh, how many followers they get. It has nothing to do with those things. All those things that they hold so dear have nothing in comparison to what God believes in them and what God thinks of them. It's important for us as Christians, for us who come, who, who have been through this, to come alongside of them and to encourage them, to lift them up, to walk with them. Paul's saying even those who are weak, feeble-minded, those who are discouraged as a church, we should be doing all those things. Then also, he comes and says, to be patient toward all men to be patient towards all men now i know this is tough because it's hard to like all people right there are some people you're just not going to like all right there's some people that you're just not going to click with your personalities are different <laughs> your likes <coughs> and your dislikes are different but paul comes and says whether you like them or whether you dislike them, you need to be patient toward all men. And I know for us as a church, you come, there's a lot of different people that come, a lot of different backgrounds, a lot of different parts of families, and even in our community, at your workplace, on football teams, basketball teams, parents, Paul says it's all the same. Be patient toward all men. Now, if I were writing this in my own flesh, I would say be patient toward those that I like or who are like me, right? Because I like to come to church and talk to people that I like. I like to go places where I like to go and see people that I like to see, right? But for us as Christians, that's not 
what Paul was saying is a healthy church, we are to be patient towards all men, all people. We are to struggle, with, uh, be a part of their, uh, of their life, to, to be long-suffering with them, to be patient with them, to, to not fly off the handle with them. Here, here's a good scripture he gives in Ephesians 4, verse 32. And be ye kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as Christ's sake hath forgiven you. If you would consider this to think about, to be kind to one another, tender-hearted. It really is a reminder of how we come to church. Do we come tender-hearted? Do we come when we see a visitor, do our, does our heart automatically move towards them? When we, when we see people who don't look like us or maybe struggling with something or obviously is different than us, do we, are we still kind-hearted? Do we still have, hey, I'm here to help minister, to be a part of, all, be patient or kind to all people, all men? And then also forgiving one another. You know, we, you can't have that many people together and then not have wrongs that are done to other people. And Paul is saying that you come and you forgive. And when you forgive one another, then you can dwell together in unity. Because if there's not unity in church, there's no power in the church. There's no congruency in the church. There's no um, unity in, in a mission together. So Paul is saying, be patient to all men. That we don't get a pick and choose. But we need to be kind, tenderhearted, and forgiving um, one another. So you think about it as you come to these things and you see how he comes to chapter uh, 15 or verse 15 here. He concludes with his exhortation to our attitude towards men. He says, see that no one render evil for evil unto any man. You see some say, well, you're going to get what you deserve or I want to get even or you want to hold grudges or you look for the time that you can return a wrong deed or a someone who said something to you wrongly. God says that's not the way you should act. A church, when you come together, you don't render evil for evil unto any man. And for us as a Christian, it's for us to rise above the temptations of the flesh, to be able to render your own judgment, to render your own uh, mistreatment. But yet, he says to take it to Christ and render, not, not to render evil for evil, even when you're done wrong. But ever follow that which is good, both among yourselves and to all men. You think about for us as a Christian, for us as a church, when he comes and he's speaking of these words, he's saying this is the marks of a healthy church. These are who you should be. This is how you should be together for one another and for us to come together and to do good together and to be tenderhearted, to love these things. And when you do all these things, naturally what plays out is what we see in verse 16 and 17, uh, 16 and 19. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. And a lot of times when we think about that, rejoice always. Man, that is tough. That is, that is tough to do because, you know, if I was writing this, I'd have to say complain always, right? Complain always because we don't always get our way. But Paul's saying when you put all these things in place, it should be a joy there that everyone else could see. That this should be the happiest place or the most joyful place you go all day. 
That, that there's a joy in our hearts and our spirits from the kingdom of God and from Christ that it makes us rejoice, to make us glad to be in the house of the Lord together. Think about that. To encourage us to pray without ceasing. And I must admit, to pray without ceasing, that's a, that, is a, that is a challenge that most of us cannot do. But if you really look to where the, what the meaning of the word is and what the meaning of the phrase here, it means that to pray, to have prayer on the tip of your tongue. That at any moment when something happens or you meet someone or something, you go through something, you're, there is a prayer on the tip of your tongue. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for this. Lord Jesus, I'm praying for this person. Or Lord Jesus, pray for this and pray for that. That we are joyful, we are prayerful, and we are thankful. In everything, give thanks. He didn't say in some things. He said in everything. And for us as Christians, for us to get to this point, that we must realize that for us as Christians, as he says here, this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you, that is not the work of ourselves, right? This has to be a supernatural work. This has to be the working of the Holy Spirit. This has to be something in us that does this for us. That's why Paul comes in verse 19 and says, do not quench the Spirit. So when we come to church, you got to ask yourself, do you quench the Spirit of God in your life? Because when we quench the Spirit of God, then we won't have joy, we won't pray without ceasing, we won't have thanksgiving. And it's a good test for us to, when we leave church to ask us, was I thankful, was I joyful, and was I prayerful when you leave? It's a good checklist to go through. Paul's saying these are the marks of a church that's really on fire for God or marks of someone who really wants to get to know God and their spiritual health and their well-being. And when you quench the Spirit of God, you won't have these things. You'll be complaining. You'll be empty. You'll be dry. You'll be complaining without ceasing, not praying without ceasing. And this is the will of God, he says, for us together as a church. And do not quench the Spirit, but do not despise prophecies. Test all things and hold fast to what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. So I just want to finish out the verses too, since we won't be here next week as well. But just finishing out Thessalonians, he says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful, who also will do it. Brethren, pray for us. Greet the, all the brethren with a holy kiss. That was the most quoted scripture in the singles department, by the way, when I taught singles. Um, greet all the brethren with a holy kiss. I charge you there, <laughs> I charge you by the Lord that this uh, epistle be read to all the holy brethren. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. <clears throat> so you think about it as he closes out, he's just giving us the exhortation and he's saying for us to be faithful because God is faithful. And when you look back through the whole lessons that Paul had given through the book of Thessalonians, you know, first and foremost, he started off with, people don't care what you know till they know that you care. And when we come to church, people should know that we care about them. Above our rules, above our standards, above what we think is right and what is wrong, we should care for one another. We should love one another. And for us as Christians, for us as a church, that's important for us to remember what kind of example are we setting. Because in our lives, what we say 
here at church. Then when we leave and go home and we say to one another, if our families and our kids and everyone else is listening to us, how would they explain what goes on at church? What would they say about church? And for us to know and to care for one another, to love one another, to be a good example to them, but then also to live what you believe. Paul says, I have conducted myself in this way. You are witnesses of these things, and I have lived my life before you, and I've lived it for the gospel, regardless of the conflict, regardless of the pain, regardless of the suffering. He said, I've labored and I've toiled, so I did care for you, but here's what I know. He says, for you concerning your faith, I want you to know these things. Number one, Jesus Christ is going to return, period. We can't put it any other way. We can't, put, we can't write it out of the Bible. He's saying, for this is true for you and for me, that we should live in a way that Christ could come at any moment. That at any moment he can come and the trumpet will sound and we will be uh, called up together with him into the clouds in the air. And we ought to live every single day as we are looking forward to that day. He said, whether you're alive or whether you're dead, we will all go before the Lord Jesus Christ and to live that way, to live yourself blameless and holiness before the Lord your God. He is coming at any moment. And for us to remember those things, how we live in the light of this world and how we live in the, in the will of God for one another. And he says, because of that, you want to live a pure life. You want to be sanctified. This is, your sanctif this is the will of God, your sanctification. We're going to talk about this in 1 John as well. He was very clear. He says, if you say you're in the light, but you walk in darkness, you are a liar. <laughs> That's what he says. I mean, I'll go back and read the Gospel of John, and I go back and read 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, you realize he was black and white. Like, there was no walking away from John not knowing where he uh, stood on the, on the situation. And same thing Paul is saying here. If you love Jesus and you're living in the light of his coming, then there should be a sanctification that comes into you that is not in the world. And you live this life out. You comfort one another with this truth and knowledge. And as you come together as Christians, you exhort one another. Even so much so as you see the day of the Lord coming and you, you exhort one another, you exhort your brothers and sisters in Christ and you, and you serve the Lord together and you rejoice always, pray without ceasing. You give thanks and everything for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. And so if we come and we just checklist our life and we look to these things and say the conclusion of our experience or us as far as joining in part of our church, could we say we rejoice always? Can we say we pray without ceasing? Can we say we give thanks in all things for the will of God? Is that those things?